1: still going and he's in for the touchdown he hit immediately you got that. the handoff from
0: the play like a jet.com digital studios this is play like a jet my name is scott mason you can follow me on twitter at play like a jet one and it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag so for that We bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Joey. He says, are the Jets actively looking for a veteran cornerback while they groom the youth? And this goes along with Gus Toon, who asked about whether or not the Jets were going to go get Richard Sherman. Yes, the Jets are looking at veteran cornerbacks. I've heard some whispers. I do think they're interested in Steven Nelson. It just sounds like his price is too high right now. So you're in a standoff where Nelson does want to come here. The Jets certainly would like to have him, but he wants top corner money, and the Jets don't want to pay that. So that's where they're at with that. As far as Sherman, I don't see him coming here. We've been saying this for a while. He wants to stay on the West Coast. He wants to play for a team that's ready to win right now. The Jets are neither of those two categories. Maybe if no other offers pop up, the Jets can swoop in, but he's only going to come here if it's a last resort as far as I know. But yes, I'm sure that they're looking in that corner market. I know that there's been some talks with Nelson, and I'm sure they've at least inquired with Richard Sherman. There will be others maybe after June 1st. But I would imagine that if there's an opportunity to add somebody, they will take it.
1: Yeah, uh, they're definitely monitoring the situation. I know that for a fact. They're not super pressed to sign buddy, somebody really quickly. Uh, I, I know that they're thinking that after June 1st, uh, their options will open up. Some things will be a little bit cheaper for them. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that they're like pressing to do anything immediately. Uh, They still have time to add some of these guys. I think, especially with Steven Nelson, like you said, he's sticking to a number that he wants in his head. They're waiting, hoping that he lowers that price a little bit. Um, But they're definitely – they know that that's uh, something that they need to improve even more so. Even if they fully agree with my uh, theory on – who cares about what the defense looks like this year? They're st- they still know that they want to add something there. So they will at some point. Uh, but like I said, I think uh, they're waiting for money to come down, better deals uh, to come down there. I I think you could see uh, them adding more like after the June 1st. Is, you'll start seeing them get a little more aggressive there.
0: Next question comes in from Matt Pasco. He says, which player who is not a rookie and is on the roster currently do you think will benefit the most from the lafleur sala regime? Quinn and Williams.
1: Yeah, Quinn and Williams for sure. Uh, that's uh, well, okay. So let's, let's break this up. Look at it uh, in two separate ways. Uh, Quinn and Williams for sure on defense. Absolutely. Uh, and I, to be clear, There's going to be a bunch of players who I think I think this Salas defense is going to help the vast majority of the defense, but Quinn and Williams, that's like a huge giant leap uh, for what we can expect, and that's going off of what we saw him do last year, which was incredibly impressive as well. So on the defensive side, I think it's Quinn and Williams. You want to hope that maybe Chris Herndon for uh, for for them on offense. But I'm also going to go out there and it's, you know, his last year was uh, injuries and the offense being around him. But Denzel Mims, I, I think Denzel Mims is an excellent fit for what they're trying to do offensively. And then when you add uh, Corey Davis next, uh, you know, and Elijah Moore and Keelan Cole and if Jameson Crowder's still there, him, I, I think Denzel Mims is going to be, you know, we're not – Going to talk about wow, what an improvement because of how last year went, and because it's only a second year. But man, do I think he is just an absolute perfect fit for what they want to do, and for Zach Wilson as well. As aggressive as Zach Wilson is, he wants to throw the ball um, when, <laughs> like, he'll be able to win these jump balls from Zach Wilson. So I, I just think that Denzel Mims is going to be uh, get a huge benefit Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
0: Next question comes in from NYJ Mike. He asks, who would win in a one-game playoff, the 2006 Jets or the 2015 Jets? I'd have to go with the 2015 Jets, and here's why. The 2006 Jets, they were an overachiever. They didn't really have that much talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but they won 10 games, and I think the reason why is because it was a perfect storm. They just happened to get a relatively easy schedule, and everything sort of fell their way breaks-wise, but if you look at that roster, it really wasn't that impressive. Chad Pennington had a decent year, and then Lavernius Coles and Jericho Cotri, all reliable there. But they didn't really have a running game. Nick Mangold and the Bricashaw Ferguson were rookies, so they were still kind of figuring out what to do. You didn't have the other reinforcements yet in the form of Alan Fanica and Damian Woody. And on defense, you had good players. Don't get me wrong. Kerry Rhodes was there. Brian Thomas, a solid player. Jonathan Vilma was really good, but if you remember, he was sort of devalued the way that Eric Mangini used him. To me, the way that Mangini used Vilma was one of the worst indictments of his coaching that there was because he took a guy that was an all-pro caliber linebacker and more or less made him useless and ended up trading him away for two mid-round picks just a couple years after he had won Defensive Rookie of the Year. But if you look at that 2015 Jets team, they were loaded all over the place. Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, and emerging Quincy and Nunwa, a pretty solid offensive line. You look on the defensive side of the ball, Darrell Rivas, at least at the beginning of the year, was playing reasonably well. They had one of the top defenses in the league. Those guys up front were really, really effective. You had Snacks, and you had Sheldon. And you had Leonard Williams, and you had Muhammad Wilkerson at the peak of his powers. So I think in a one-game playoff, that 2015 team was just too talented for that 2006 team.
1: All right, so there I got some questions qualifiers for this. If you're how how has Ryan Fitzpatrick been playing the previous three or four weeks? Because if he's been playing good the previous three or four weeks, then you know the bad, terrible game is coming. If he's been playing bad, terrible, then maybe a good game is coming. Um, but basically. I, I'm i not disagreeing with everything you said. I think everything you said was right, but I still, uh, a, a one-game sample size, I'm betting against Ryan Fitzpatrick.
0: Next question comes in from T. Diddy. He said, has there been comments by ex-players around Gase's coaching style? I would love to understand how he handled Darnold and the receivers. Also, have the Jets looked at bringing Chad Pennington into the coaching staff? I think there have been a few. There was one that I saw recently, and I'm drawing a blank on who it was from. There was somebody who was on the offensive side of the ball. Might have been an offensive lineman, actually. Oh, Khalil. Khalil came out and said... That Gase was terrible for Darnold But that's not really anything that anyone's surprised about If you watch the games, you know that But the question, of course, is how much of it was Gase How much of it was Darnold himself How much of it was the surrounding talent There's a million things, and we've been over that so many times I'm sure they've talked to Chad Pennington about his interest But from everything I've heard, he doesn't want to do it He's happy just being where he is, coaching his kids And doing high school football or whatever it is he's doing And he doesn't really want any part of the grind of being an NFL coach, he'll come in, he'll visit, he'll talk to quarterbacks. We know that he spoke with Zach Wilson in the run up to the draft, but I don't think he wants the grind of being a full time coach.
1: Yeah, for we'll start with the Chad stuff. Uh, I know in the past the organization has tried. Uh, I I know that for a fact that they have tried in the past, and he's just been like, yeah, not now. But, you know, I don't know if ever uh, for everything you just said, he does, he doesn't want uh, all of that. Um, I have no idea if, you know, this new regime has reached out to him, but I know that in the past the organization has tried. Um, I don't – my guess is that the the new regime has not. But – and then as far as other players, players definitely have said stuff about Adam Gase. uh, But you – the thing is there's only a a handful of players – that are going to feel comfortable publicly criticizing any coach. Uh, like it's easy for Ryan Khalil to say, it, because Ryan Khalil ain't trying to get another job in the NFL again. Um, some young player going to sit there, even like, you know, Robbie Anderson left and went to Carolina. I, I know for a fact that Robbie Anderson has some negative thoughts about Adam Gase, but he's still sitting there going, and hey, I only got this two year deal. I'm not about to start uh, making problems for myself and take away a potential opportunity later. Or maybe, uh, you know, some coaches and GMs, they don't like when a player publicly criticizes somebody, a coach or whatever. Even if they think they're 100% right and they agree, they sit there and be like, well, if he criticized this guy, maybe he'd be willing to criticize me. Not a true team player. So players are going always going to be uh, very careful about how they dish that criticism out. With any coach no matter the situation
0: Next question comes in From Gus Toon he says bearing in mind How quote good the tight Ends are on the Jets roster how realistic Is it that Yeboa makes the 53 Man I think it's fairly realistic if He plays well in training camp there's no reason He can't as you said they've Got a bunch of tight ends none of them Are good Yeboa showed a lot of Promise in his one year at Ole Miss And I know they think very highly of him so There's no reason why he wouldn't have a real Chance to stick there's no one holding him back. I'm not a big Chris Herndon fan. I think he's been exposed over the last couple of years, and the rest of those guys, we know what they are. Daniel Brown, Trevon Wesco, even Tyler Croft. He's a blocking tight end only, so they're going to need somebody who's a receiving threat. Griffin was very disappointing last year. There's definitely room for your Boa to make the 53 man roster and get some playing time if he balls out at practice and training camp.
1: Yeah, I, I, again this undrafted free agents chances are are low just in general but i i don't know too many undrafted free agents in a better uh, position than than he is right now uh there's really nothing ahead of him and even if you want to uh say okay tight ends take a while to develop and chris herndon this will be the year he turns around even if you are completely confident that they still need more tight ends. And as you said, you look at the other tight ends they have here, this should be a very attainable goal for Kenny Aboy to, uh, to achieve. Uh, I, I think he's talented enough. He's good enough. Um, you know, is, would he start and get playing time uh, right away? I don't know, but I think that I, I find it really hard to imagine that he wouldn't be close enough on, on, you Know the day they set the final roster that he would have to be so far below like a Wesco, a Ryan Griffin, uh, for them to take that. If he's even just like playing at a slightly less level, I think they're going to go with him, um, and develop him long term. So I think he's got like a probably at least a 60% chance of making this roster, if not better. Um, the opportunity is there for him, and I think he has the ability to do it. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see, you know, anything like huge contribution-wise during the season. So don't uh, mistake me saying that. But it it, it looking at it, the roster, the depth chart there, it's hard for me to see him not making this roster unless he just completely flames out at camp or. Something like that and I don't I, I think he's too good to for that to be the case
0: Next question comes in from say my name if he says in retrospect should the Jets have any regrets about trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker You can never predict how the draft will fall but Darisaw, Wyatt Davis and a few other good prospects fell down the draft board Doesn't seem like too bad a consolation prize if they had stayed put at Soul Brother asked a similar question. He said, I'm happy with Elijah Vera Tucker, but can't help but think that Jenkins at 23 and then keeping those third rounders might have been a better move considering all the holes that they have. He also throws in, What's your favorite unconventional pizza topping? He says, His is roasted pork. So let's talk about this, Chris. I'm totally fine with the Elijah Vera Tucker move. I understand that you can make the case about Tevin Jenkins. And I said this the other day on the show with Andy Vasquez. I like Tevin Jenkins a lot, and I would have been torn on him or Elijah Vera Tucker. So if you want to tell me that the Jets should have taken Jenkins at 23 or more at 23, and then Jenkins at 34 and kept the two third rounders, I'm totally willing to listen to that. However, if they identified Elijah Vera Tucker as the no-doubt-about-it, stone-cold lead-pipe top guard in this class and they felt like him next to Beckton would be an absolute wall for the next 10 to 15 years then I'm good with trading up and you heard Mark Ross talk about this on the show a couple of days ago he had Elijah Vera Tucker as his number two offensive lineman in the draft period not number two interior offensive lineman number two offensive lineman Joe Thomas the Future Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns said the same thing. He had Elijah Vera Tucker as his number two offensive lineman in the class. So I understand the argument, and I'm willing to listen to it. I'm not going to say that it should be rejected out of hand. But I absolutely love the idea of getting aggressive, going up and getting the guy that you've identified that you think is going to be the major difference maker. If they had him rated significantly higher than they did somebody like Tevin Jenkins, then make the move. And I wouldn't have any regrets about it. Now, obviously, we'll see how this turns out. Because if Tevin Jenkins turns out to be better than Elijah Vera Tucker, then you can go back and say, yeah, the Jets should have just taken Jenkins. But as of right now, I'm all in favor of the move.
1: Yeah, I I love the trade up in real time. And this is one of those situations where I have only dug in and entrenched my position further as I've seen criticisms of, of the decision to trade up. I agree with the people who said that Elijah Vera Tucker is the number two overall. I, I tend not when I do the draft stuff. I'm not gonna try to rank a guard and a tackle or you know a guard like I I don't do those types of rankings. But I know Joe Douglas thought Elijah Vera Tucker was top ten player and the best guard in this draft. And you go get that guy. Um, they were able to still come around away with three people. Th- three players in the top 25 and again I don't normally believe gms when they say that but it's hard to imagine that they don't because those three are all consensus uh top 25 players on all the big boards out there um one i i am the the whole uh notion of don't trade up uh, in the draft is, you know, it's, it's kind of an axiom, like don't, um, running backs don't matter. And I subscribe to this theory that unless you're trading for a quarterback that you should be very careful and pro- try to avoid to, uh, trading up because uh, most of the times it doesn't work out, but there's a couple of things there. Number one, if there's a position outside quarterback, you want to do that with, you want to do it with guard because that's a a draft is a crapshoot and it does apply to guards, but that is the easy, one of the easiest positions to hit on. Um, And then you, you know, you're not trading up just for a dart throw at this point. You feel very confident, like how high the ceiling, I'm not sure, but the idea that Elijah Vera Tucker would be a bust is just something that I can't fathom wrapping my brain around right now <laughs> unless the injuries or something that's the only thing I could see Elijah Eric Tucker becoming a bust for then you factor in the need and you factor in that the shallowness of this position in this draft uh and then uh, people kept talking about Shaw, but Shaw again he's a left tackle I think he's a left tackle so I'm not taking him to make him into a guard. It doesn't, I doesn't make sense to me. He's best as a tackle. Um, you mentioned Wyatt Davis. Again, I had scouts tell me that they just don't think that he was a perfect fit for this offense. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't have taken him at some point, <clears throat> but at the point that he's going to go, they probably have him graded a little bit lower than the team that took him because he's not a perfect fit for the, the offensive system. And Again, the guard class was really light. And then a lot of the, the players that uh, fans and were looking at just were not a perfect fit for the system or not even not a perfect fit, not a, a good fit. And they weren't going to go that way. He, he said, I am not leaving this draft without a guard that I have the utmost confidence in. And he went and he got that guy. And then this is the, the big part of it. Um <clears throat> Again, trading up, not whether to trade up, not straight up. These decisions can't be made in a vacuum. And the people that criticized it just because they lost 45 points on the, the trade value chart. So essentially, they lost a mid-fourth round draft pick. Okay, I'm good with that for Elijah Vera Tucker. I don't have a problem with that. But again, you have to take in the context of how desperately they needed offensive line help, how they just drafted a rookie quarterback. And we just went through this with Sam Darnold and Gino before him, the teams not doing enough to build the offense around them. And then the, the position scarcity, all those reasons add up for Joe Douglas to say, no, I got to go get this guy now. And he went and he did that. And to just, criticize it just off that 45 points you're missing so much important context here and i i get it <clears throat> but again i i'm generally opposed to trading up from in most situations because of how it doesn't tend to work out but just there's exceptions to every rule and if you look at the reasoning behind this trade up it all tracks it all makes sense to me and i am in full support of it 100 percent. and then Again, if they just had seven picks, just one pick in each round, that trade hurts them a lot more than it it actually hurt them having all these extra picks. When you have all these extra picks – You can afford to go ahead and package them up to make one move up in a draft. It's easier to do that. So if they just had one through seven, then I'm going to have more of a problem with it now. But they had those extra picks. They have all those extra picks next year as well. So I just don't like criticizing that is getting real nitpicky, in my opinion. That's going
0: to wrap up part two of the mailbag. Make sure that you follow Chris on Twitter at Seen and at Jets Insider and read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com and check out everything we're doing over at PlayLikeAJet.com. Clayton Smarslock's got a fantastic article up about Wave 3 or Wave 4, whichever wave it is right now, of free agency. Tommy Griffin Krantz takes a look at the undrafted free agents and the players that the Jets drafted on defense On day three, we've got a ton of great stuff on our YouTube channel as well, including film breakdowns of Michael Carter and Elijah Moore from Luke Grant and a brand new Pace's Playbook, a commentary by Kayla Pace. So check that out. And make sure you give us a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's PlayLikeAJetDigital and PlayLikeAJet.com.